0: actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, and welcome to the Bossed Up podcast. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. And today's episode is a really special conversation for anyone who is navigating the modern job search. Today I'm talking with Dori Clark all about how to stand out from the crowd, which I know it's such a not I don't even want to say it's cliché to say be yourself, which it is, but it's just such a hard thing to actually do in practice. It's really easy to say really hard to do. And I'm delighted to be joined by Dory Clark, who really breaks down with concrete examples and some really clear strategies how to make it happen. Dory Clark has been named one of the top 50 business thinkers in the world by Thinkers50. And she was recognized as the number one communication coach in the world by the Marshall Goldsmith Leading Global Coaches Awards. As a consultant and keynote speaker... Dory Clark teaches executive education at Duke University School of Business and Columbia's Business School, and she's the author of three fantastic books, Entrepreneurial You, Reinventing You, and Stand Out, which was named the number one leadership book of 2015 by Inc. Magazine. As a former presidential campaign spokeswoman, Clark has been described by the New York Times as an expert in self-reinvention and helping others make change in their lives. A frequent contributor to the Harvard Business Review, she consults and speaks for clients, including Google, Microsoft, and the World Bank. And today, I'm so delighted to welcome Dori Clark to the Bossed Up podcast. Welcome, Dori. Thank you so much. Great to be here. So you've got quite a few books under your belt. You've got a large paper trail online, full of amazing talks, full of amazing writing. I want to know what got you started in this direction. Where did where did you come from? What's your story?
1: Yeah, thank you. I got started in this direction uh, largely as a pivot from failure after failure, <laughs> <laughs> So I very briefly, I was, uh, I was a newspaper reporter that got laid off. I went into, like you, I uh, went into working in politics, doing communications on a uh, governor's race and then on a presidential race, and they lost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, then I, I ran a nonprofit for a couple of years. And uh, fortunately, I, I did not get kicked out there, but I voluntarily realized oh my goodness, running a nonprofit is basically the same thing as running a business. And I decided at that point to start my own. So now uh, 15 15 years ago, I launched my consulting and coaching practice. Uh, But yeah, it was not not the intention. I I sort of uh, kept pivoting until I ended up in entrepreneurship.
0: Well, I always joke that, campaigns or even an industry like journalism uh, which some might argue is a dying one although I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily agree with that that premise but you know sometimes being in an environment where you know you have to reinvent yourself every election cycle or you know you're going to be out of a job on a regular basis forces you to get really good at pivoting doesn't it?
1: It does. Although I wish I could say I knew that I had to reinvent myself,
0: but I always mm. kept thinking we'd win. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you have to have the audacity of hope, you don't do. you? Know that's, you do. I learned that somewhere. <laughs> yeah, someone, someone great said that. So, you know, I I always love bringing that perspective to the modern job search, which can be so overwhelming. Tell me why you think the modern job search and this age of information has just become such a deluge, such an overwhelming environment. Well, I think, I think almost
1: everything has become a deluge. Mm. We are just so surrounded by information. I, have, I spent my, my pandemic summer working on <laughs> a, a book project And uh, yeah, thank you. It's, uh, it's this book that's going to be coming out in in September about, it's essentially about long-term thinking and strategic, uh, you know, sort of how to have a strategic mindset. Mm. And one of the quotes that I came across in the course of researching it was from 1971. And it was from a guy named Herbert Simon, who was a professor of computer science at Carnegie Mellon. And what, what he talked about now, you know, 50 plus years ago, which I think is is obviously even more relevant now, is that uh, he said that a surplus of information creates a deficit of something else mm. and the deficit that's created is a deficit of attention. Yeah. It's like, oh, yes, it is. And so attention becomes the most valuable commodity. And so I think for all of us, we are just swimming in possibilities. We're swimming in data and uh, and we're, we're swimming in noise. Right. And so the, the question for all of us is what are the systems that we can set up? How can we structure our own lives? Because everybody has to make their own decisions in order to make sure that our signal to noise ratio of, of Mm. Valid, high quality information and job leads, or whatever it is, uh, how do we make sure we're getting that and we're able to filter out some of mm-hmm. that noise? And it is just a, a huge problem that every one of us is facing.
0: Totally. And on the job seeker side of it, they know—we all know—that employers are inundated with resumes for a single position. Sometimes a hundred resumes plus per position. And we all know they're not all getting that human being's attention, and that can be so frustrating when you're on the opposite side of it, right? It's not your choice of how to, how to mindfully direct your attention. It's how on earth do I get on their radar when there are 7,000 other people trying to get on their radar? Uh, that can be so frustrating, I think, just a, a fundamental reality of the modern job search is, is so uh disheartening sometimes when you're you're knocking on door after door, making phone call after phone call and just getting through can be barrier number 1. Yeah, it? that's that's exactly right. And so part of
1: the way that we need to think about it is what are the steps that we mm-hmm. can take so that we are the ones. You know, obviously not, you know, if there's, you know, thousands of applications, not everyone's going to break through the noise. Right. But how can we make sure that we break through the noise? And part of it, of course, you know, it's going back to first principles and the things we, uh, we mm. already know. How do people filter? Well, one of the classic ways they filter is they go to people they already know, their pre-existing mm-hmm. employees, their social network, they say, hey, who do you know that's good? And mm-hmm. so personal connections matter more than ever. And another lever that we can pull if we're not in a position where we happen to have connections at that company or with that hiring manager is social proof, which is a topic that I talk about a lot, uh, in my work. And, you know, the, the basic sort of definition of social proof is what is, what is your credibility? You know, what, Mm. what are the reasons why someone who didn't know a thing about you might be willing to pay attention to you? Because the truth is if a human being is overloaded, if they're looking at a hundred or a thousand resumes, they don't have time to evaluate each one on its merits they are going to do a quick scan. They're going to say, well, who looks interesting? Who looks promising? Mm. And we need we need you to pop. We need you to stand out. And so one of the fastest ways to do it is to affiliate yourself with brands that they already know and trust. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, it, it's just looking for connections that you already have, or if you don't have them, finding a way to seek them out. It could be that you've worked for well-known companies in the past. It could be that you... Uh, for instance, have managed to speak at conferences that uh, are big in your industry. It could be that you are involved in a professional association and maybe you're a board member or a committee chair of that professional association. Maybe you're involved in an alumni association. But any of those things are ways where you just have a, an increased ability to mm. stand out and say, oh, well, if this institution or if this company thinks that this person is pretty legitimate. I might as I might as well give them a chance. You're essentially right. pre vetted.
0: Yeah, it's like a validator, right? <laughs> like bringing in a third party validator uh, to vouch for you totally. on your behalf. Yes, I that's love right. that idea. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of your work kind of reminds me of um, this idea of through social proof or through your social networks of attracting the right opportunities to come your way as opposed to being on the hunt and being the one seeking out constant opportunities. And that is all well and good, <laughs> but I think that's such a daunting concept for folks who are not entrepreneurs, who are not influencers, to kind of wrap our heads around and think, okay, well, how the hell am I going to attract and make myself you know, magnetic for the kinds of opportunities I want? I want to go back to... Uh, one of your earlier books on reinventing you, define your brand, imagine your future, how do you think folks can start that process by really defining their brand as a job seeker and why does that matter? yeah it's, it's an important question
1: you know to your point about having opportunities come to you, I mean mm-hmm. obviously, it doesn't start that way for any of us, right? right. And we're, we're all starting out as kind of blank slates professionally once we enter the workforce. But over time, what I really try to encourage people to think about is that if you make small strategic moves, you are able, as you garner more experience and more connections, to really set in motion a process so that not tomorrow, but Mm. in three years, in five years, in 10 years, you have actually created forward momentum that enables you to actually get, frankly, what any of us wants, which is the ability to uh, to sort of reap the rewards of the work that we have put Mm -hmm. in building that brand and building that reputation. So the way that I kind of think about it is there's, Uh, And, and, you know, this is language that might sound like it's for entrepreneurs, but the principle really is true for everyone, uh, including if you work in a company. I really try to draw the distinction between marketing and sales. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that, you know, sales is the kind of like pound the pavement activity that you do that in the near term. Can generate results for you. It's, you know, going out, talking to people, you know, sending out your resume, having the lunch saying, Oh, Hey, do you have any opportunities? You know, Oh, could you refer me to this friend? You know, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's really uh, a kind of proactive pushing and, uh, and talking to people who you already know that is really important for near-term success. Mm -hmm. But what a lot of people forget about is what I refer to as marketing. And that is building your brand over the long term, because it will not get you results tomorrow. It usually yeah. takes you know, a lot more time than that, but it actually can get you dramatic results in five years. Like Nobody's putting a gun to your head and saying, you really ought to be an officer in this professional association. You right. know, it's, it's never urgent. But when you do that, if you actually put in the time, five years from now, you're going to have way more contacts, way more people in the industry are going mm-hmm. to know who you are and if you're ever in a position where you want or need to change jobs, you know, mm-hmm. the, the minute someone hears that you've left, they'll say, oh, oh, wow, she's free. Well, let's bring her in. And mm-hmm. your job, your job search just
0: becomes 100 times easier. Totally long game. I love that approach that we're, we're kind of snowballing, <laughs> you know, building building momentum as we go In community with others, right? That's the key. This is not a lone wolf strategy. This is very much like movement building work where your community that you invest in through your time, through your volunteer activities, through efforts, through just keeping in touch with other humans, that is what you fall back on. Right? When when you need support in return. So it's such an it's kind of an interesting throwback. It's kind of a retro idea, really, of when, you know, the the social fabric of our nation was a little bit stronger and more interconnected and social groups were much more of a thing. Now we're all, I think, siloed on our own phones, you know, scrolling through whatever app is making us envious of others these days, you know? And it can get really easy to get isolated, especially when you're in need of support, especially when you're on the job search and you're like, ugh, I don't want to reach out and ask for help. <laughs> yeah, But you're saying, like, if you put in the, the effort, if you put in the relationship building on the front end for the long haul as part of your ongoing strategy for connection and community, that is what comes back around when you need it,
1: right? That's, that's exactly right. And I think you raise an important point, which is that- I would say the mischaracterization of, you know, networking, you know, Mm the sort of loaded term. Um, (laughs) Many people think of it as being a numbers game and thinking about Mm -hmm. breadth rather than depth. Oh, I need to meet all these people. I need to know all these people. I need to give all of them my cards. And the truth is you will actually get further by building Mm -hmm. deeper connections in fewer places. It is Infinitely better to be an officer in one professional association or one alumni association than it is to be a member of 10. Because when you're a member, you're just kind of like a ghost in the night. You're you know, you Mm -hmm. might go to a meeting here or there, you might meet somebody once, blah blah blah. But if you are actually deeply and actively involved in a way that you are interacting with people, they can see on an ongoing basis, that you're yeah. smart, that you're reliable, that you do the things you say you're going to do. That makes an impression. And then mm-hmm. the, the membership, you know, they're seeing your name on the, the emails. They're seeing you uh, introducing people on the webinars or whatever you're doing. And it begins to build a kind of ambient brand awareness about who you yes. are.
0: Yeah. I think that's so, so key. Strong bonds over lots of loose bonds all day. I remember when I started my business, I was like, we're going to do this small, but well. (laughs) And there were competitors that were on the scene who were like, we have 8 million members of our women's networking platform. And I was like, damn, that is never going to happen for my little business here. But, you know, we're still around and they're not, you know, it's like strong bonds, a few, you know, concerted people, a few devoted people can definitely snowball in a way that's more sustainable than a whole bunch of loosely affiliated folks. Absolutely. That's such a good point. So in Stand Out, you talk about building a following around your ideas. How does that work? What does that look like for the non-influencer who's like not focused on, you know, building her Instagram following up to 100,000 for the non-entrepreneur, but for the job seeker what is this idea really about when it comes to building a following around your career? Yeah, it, it's a
1: it's an important question because certainly not 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 everyone wants to or should uh, necessarily be aiming for mass saturation of their ideas. Right. But I think just about everybody would like to be more influential in the right. sphere that they're in. You know, if you're on the job you would like your colleagues and your boss and your coworkers to actually listen to you and respect your opinion. And if you say, mm-hmm. Hey, what if we tried this? Um, you, you would like to have a scenario where they say, Oh, well, you know, he has really good ideas. Let's, let's give it a try. Um, so the, the question is how can we set up the conditions under which that happens? Mm. And so ultimately, you know, building a following around your ideas starts with understanding the universe that you want to influence. Mm. And um, what I describe in my book, Standout, is really a, a kind of three-step process. Uh, the, the first is, uh, you know, kind of one, one-to-one one idea transmission, right? So it, it's, you know, everything starts small, it starts with having uh, a connect, connections and a community of people that you can vet ideas with, that you can test mm. them out, you know, so you know that they're good
0: or not good. Totally. Your beta testing group, basically. <laughs> yes. So yeah. I'm,
1: I'm a big fan of, uh, of developing, you know, small things like um, I talk about in my book, Reinventing You, the idea of having a mentor board of directors.
0: Mm. And
1: specifically what I mean by that, there's so often a focus on having a mentor in corporate mm. life, which I think kind of puts too much pressure on it because it implies that there's this one person that right. is like, you know, your magic patron for life.
0: <laughs> right. And I mean, it's yeah, a lot of pressure.
1: Yeah. We would all love that, but that, you know, for some shocking reason that doesn't usually materialize. Um, but instead if you can identify a group of people with whom you can essentially have a kind of low key relationship but you you're learning from them. You know you're actively saying, "Gosh, you know, I really admire how she does that. I would love to learn that." And it's somebody. It you know, it could be a senior person. It could be a peer. It might even be someone junior to you. But it, but they might have a more developed skill in a certain area. And if you're conscious about it and saying, "Wow, you know, I'd, I'd love to you know develop the kind of relationship where." you know, periodically I could ask them out for coffee and advice or something like that. It's really valuable. So having that as just kind of a starting Mm. point to nurture and test your, your ideas in the way that you're thinking about things is very valuable. And then from there, the second part is what I call one to many idea transmission. And that's basically Mm. just, you know, how do you get a little more scale with it? And so if you're somebody working inside of a corporation and you're looking to, to build your following, it could be inside the company. Maybe it's something as simple as, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer a lunch and learn, or I'm going to, uh, you know, I learned how to do X thing that's really helpful to people in the organization. I am going to uh, do a write-up for the company newsletter about it mm. and share how I did it so other people can can learn too, or, you know, whatever it is. And if you are a job seeker, then the equivalent is to say, all right, within my professional community, right. how can I do something similar? Is there a conference? Is there an industry newsletter, etc., where I can be sharing those ideas and making myself valuable too?
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. My bestie from college, who is a neuroscientist, she just got her PhD. She's working at Mass General now and Harvard. I think she's actually an adjunct professor at Harvard now. And she, it's interesting, she really uses social media, Twitter specifically, in a very niche and targeted way. She's not interested in having mass influence on Twitter, but she keeps tabs on the hashtags associated with her particular, the particular disease that she studies and the particular conferences and scientists in her field And has built some strong relationships, offline relationships that started on Twitter via making the most of conferences, even that she's not in attendance of physically, but via Twitter conversations happening online. And similarly, she writes a quarterly newsletter for an uh, industry association like you're talking about. And it is work, right? It takes a significant amount of time. But it gives her a credibility to interview people who are experts in her field. And as someone who just really in the past year finished her her dissertation and got her PhD she's still relatively new to her field and has strong relationships with a variety of folks who she really admires in her industry and is she massively known you know is she a household name absolutely not but that's not what she's going for she's going for very targeted ind- industry specific influence like what you're talking about
1: yeah that's such a great example i i love that and it's a very smart use of the resources mm-hmm. at hand and especially early on in your career you you don't want or need to have you know worldwide renown i mean the whole point is if you yeah. want to be a you know a neuroscientist um, it's if if you can get the respect of the people around you such yeah. that they know who you are they like you and if someone were to ask them oh well you know how how is this person that they'd say yeah. oh yeah she's great she's smart Like that's what you need at first. It's it's about thinking about concentric circles because, you know, you might want to, you know, maybe one day your friend wants to write articles about neuroscience for the New Yorker. That's amazing. But she can't necessarily do it yet because if somebody went to, you know, the leading neuroscientist in America and said, well, what do you think of this woman? And he's like, I've never heard of her. Well, you know, guess what? The New Yorker is not going to be that excited about sharing her ideas. Because she she needs to complete that first step first.
0: Yeah. In, in a world where 30 under 30 lists are so <laughs> common, that is a really important message I want to underscore. Like, this is a game of mastery. This is a long-term pursuit. And there is no prize for getting recognition early in your career. Like, recognition later is just as sweet. <laughs> and I think there's an argument almost for... Not getting too much attention too early, right? Until you've really refined your practice, there's an art form to the long-term pursuit of mastering your craft, for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the, the timeline in different industries is is of course different, right? I mean yeah. what the reason that we see a lot of, you know, Justin Bieber's uh, in the world yeah. is it's it's not that Justin Bieber has to be an expert. In all of the history of world music, in order to make music that everybody right. likes. Like, you know, we understand, oh, well, you know, that's nice. It's nice on its own. Okay. And then when, you know, when he broke through, he was 16 years old, nobody was quizzing him on, you know, well, tell mm-hmm. us about this Bach concerto, huh?
0: You know, mm-hmm. it's just a different
1: mm-hmm. thing. But if if you are part of a field where there is an established canon of knowledge. You can't just be like making things up. You need to prove as a neuroscientist that you understand what's going on in (laughs) neuroscience before you can be viewed as an authoritative,
0: uh, incredible commentator to add your own ideas. Totally, totally. So you talked about the first two of three steps uh in standout. What's step number three?
1: Way to keep track. Nicely done.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm listening over here. I like I mean, I love a good tangent, don't get me wrong, but I'm I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> yes, yes.
1: So that was two, and then the third one. So so we start with like one to one. Then right. we go one to many. Surprise, step three is many to many. And mm-hmm. what that really looks like is reaching the point of Penetration of your idea that other people like it enough that they take it up on their own and decide to advance it themselves, because the the truth is, yeah, we you know our idea is only there's only so far we can spread it, right? If we're mm-hmm. if we're one person, I mean, yeah, you can talk to a lot of people, but eventually you run out of time and you run out of bandwidth to do it. If you really want your ideas to spread, um, it is really important to get other people on board such that they are excited to spread the word and so one example from the corporate world for instance if we go back a few years um cheryl sandberg wrote the book lean in of course which was a big bestseller um, so if we think of that as, you know, mm-hmm. if we're like mapping the progress, right? Like originally I'm sure, you know, she was talking to her, her friends and her colleagues and her staff about this idea of, you know, people, we should all lean in somebody was like, great, Cheryl, you should, you should tell more people about it. So she writes right. a book, hundreds of thousands of people read this book. Um, so f- now she's doing one to many. And so lots of people know the idea, but then, you know, how do you get it to be a thing people embrace. And it's not just like, oh, I read a book once. Well, she created an organization that actually created facilitation tools called Lean In Circles that Mm -hmm. people could be part of. And it became, you know, it was not a revenue model. It was just a totally decentralized thing of like, hey, you know, people in corporations around the world, you can just like meet on your lunch break. You can meet after work and talk about how this applies to you. And that enables people to to really become their own messengers, you know, if, right. if I if I meet up with my friend and I'm like, oh hey, what have you been up to? She's like, well, you know, let me tell you what we did in my lean in circle. All of a sudden, the word is spreading. Cheryl Sandberg has nothing to do with it at this point, and the idea takes on a life right. of its own. So, kind of the moral here. And this is how uh, certainly a lot of a lot of politicians uh, have yeah. become very successful. Is you know, as they say, right? As long as you are willing to sort of let the idea go and not cling to credit for it or, or try right. to micromanage it, it can actually go pretty far.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think it's also worth mentioning that you know, many-to-many discourse. I, I think the part part of the reason people cling to it is because they want to say they want to defend it but the many to many stage of this is going to incorporate criticism <laughs> just like the very valid many critiques of lean in you know like your idea of having cultural resonance and influence doesn't mean everyone's going to love it you know yeah, like there's for sure i think that's actually a really interesting phase of it you know the podcast here the conversation always continues in our online facebook group uh, the Bossed Up Courage community. And, you know, not everybody agrees with what I say or what my guests say, but it's the community conversation around it that's amazing. And you're like, oh, well, I'm learning as we go in community with our listeners. So it is an interesting, uh, I don't know if it's it's a vulnerability, right, as the person with the message, but it's definitely a lack of control when you get to that point of many to many. But who, like, I, I, I love the all news is good news <laughs> philosophy. Like, hey, if they're talking about you, more often than not, unless you've really done something terribly wrong, uh, you know, they're talking about you. Keep them talking. Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. In fact, there's been research that's, that's been done on it that in the early days, you know, if, if someone is not already famous, negative press actually helps them because, interesting. N- because later people will remember the name and they'll be familiar with that person, but they won't remember why.
0: <laughs> oh God. Oh God. I don't know ethically how I feel about that, yeah, but exactly. it, it does ring true, doesn't it? So, <laughs> yeah.
1: so listeners, we're not telling you to go out and murder people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, please right.
1: note.
0: make a name for yourself. Yeah, no. Uh but it does it does remind me of influencer culture, because there are famous people now who are famous from bad behavior on display on reality TV shows in the 90s that we're like, wait, how did she become famous? That's not what we're remembering. We're just knowing her name and listening to what she's saying now, you know? so absolutely. One last question for you here. A lot of the job seekers I work with who've been searching for a long time can easily kind of abandon their own personal brand in this quest to just fit whatever mold the job is looking for, right? It's it's kind of easy to have your confidence shaken, have your confidence rattled if you've got a couple of rejections under your belt especially, and start to just say, well, what do you need me to be, employer? I'll be it. <laughs> and that, I think, is totally an understandable uh, reaction to rejection. But tell me why that backfires? And and what should we think about doing instead?
1: Yeah, it, it certainly is a very understandable reaction. I mean, I've uh, had many times, I mean, I, obviously, the, the good part about being self-employed is that, um, you know, even during lean times, I I have not laid myself off. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> right. So that's a plus. But, uh, but early in my career, I mean, I was Unemployed for you know six months, uh, eight months, you know at a, at a at a stretch, and yeah, um, you know I mean that, and that's that's not at all uncommon. That's maybe even on the short end sometimes, mm-hmm. and uh, but but it was it was always very stressful figuring out what the next thing is and how do you position yourself for it. So I think the the key thing is we can never afford to lose sight of the the employer and the hiring managers perspective. Mm. And they they want to protect themselves from danger and they want to mitigate risk in their hiring, right? Anytime right. you bring somebody on, it's a risk because right. the the person might not work out, it might be a bad choice. Oh no, we're going to have to replace them in 3 months and that would be expensive. So I would suggest there's a couple of things. The first that we need to keep in mind is that to the extent that they can pick up on an excessive level of malleability in you. Mm. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, whatever you need. Uh, You know, where where it feels like you're not actually being a distinct person. You're just sort of contorting yourself.
0: Yes. That's
1: kind of a warning
0: sign. Yeah.
1: Because they are going to say, okay, like kind of what is this person hiding? Why are they not being authentic? And, okay, they might sort of be acting like this right now. But once they get comfortable in the job, they probably actually will revert to being themselves. And if it's not a good fit, then it's just not a good situation for anyone. So, which is
0: so antithetical to the innate desire to be flexible. You're like, what do you need? I can do it. You know, like, especially if you're truly feeling desperate, you're like, I'll take any job and that natural human instinct to to flex yourself just comes across as inauthentic and not trustworthy and it's such an ironic catch 22 but it's so like such a good reminder that people need to trust you to hire you that is going to be your winning strategy
1: that's absolutely right and and so it's you know there there is a middle way right i think i think it is important that if there are aspects of a job that you genuinely like and that genuinely connect with you emphasize that you know mm. s- say yes i love this this is great this is you know a part of my skill set i'm really passionate about doing this but if there are aspects of the job that either you don't have a lot of experience in or you know maybe it's it's you know sort of not kind of the right thing mm. the more you are able to be upfront about that actually the better. Now, the truth is, you might not get that job. I mean, frankly, you might not get it anyway, even if you were to pretend. But (laughs) if you're able to make the case, you know, passionately to say, you know, look, I, you know, I am all in on points A, B, and C here, you know, point D, um, you know, I'll I'll tell you, I don't have a ton of experience with it, but I'm glad to learn it. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, point D, you know, I, I, this one is not my strong suit and I'm, I'm going to be totally upfront about that, but let me tell you why I believe that's actually not essential for the job. Why you should be focusing mm-hmm. on this instead or whatever. You might actually ironically be more successful because you, you want to stand out in some way. I mean, the worst thing you can be is like kind of the middle of the pack where they're just like, well, it's fine, you know, because you're, mm-hmm. you're not going to be noticed one way or another. And so if you sort of make a bold move and flex a little bit in your conversations, it, it's possible they might say, oh no, you know, that nope, that no way. <laughs> right. It's also possible they might say, oh my God, he's making a really valid point here. We hadn't even considered that. Right. Oh, that's the kind of thinking we need. So it it's it's a bold move, but it could actually be one that leads to success.
0: Right. And You know, it's hard to say from the privileged position of currently having a job and an income, but, you know, the conservative instinct to be self protecting by just flattening yourself, by not standing out, by blending is something we have to fight against when we're job searching, right? Because the bold move of being yourself, of standing out in some way or another is always a risk. It's inherently risky, but it is a risk that could pay off. You know, it obviously could backfire, but it could pay off in that you are now memorable. You have made an impression. I had a candidate who I worked with on her opening story, like the tell me about yourself question. And she, she's interviewing with Google right now. She's three interviews in. She emailed me yesterday saying my second interview was with the original person I spoke to and another couple hiring managers. And she said that my opening story, like my background, my non-traditional background is what really made me memorable. And she basically regurgitated her life story for her because it was that – it made that strong of an impression. You know, she has a cosmetology background and is now going into tech. Fantastic. Right? And, and her initial instinct was to not talk about it. And I was like, nope, 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 nope. We got to talk about it. And we got to frame it in a way that says, here's why I know the power of hard work and perseverance. And here's what my small business owner parents taught me when they were owning a salon that I ended up working in, you know, and like she has such a compelling story now, but she really had to work to frame it. And the, the the safer choice would have been to neglect that completely. But then nobody understands who she is or what she cares about. Yeah, it's it's so. so
1: true. I mean, in my book, Reinventing You, similarly, I have a story about a woman who is a poet. And she was a professional published poet. She'd published, you know, like three volumes of poetry. And she decided to become a management consultant. And mm. at first, she, she hit it because she thought, yeah. oh, man, everyone's going to think I'm so flaky. They're going to say, well, what does she know about business? And, you know, she just kept it under wraps. But the problem with that is that it, she didn't have a lot to talk about. It made her sound very average. Yeah. And once she was able to to bring that out, she realized that it, you know, didn't connect with everyone, but the people who were interested, they were
0: really interested in her story. Yep. Totally. I think that's the key. Dory, if you could go back to your former self, eight months unemployed what's the one piece of advice you would give yourself then? Oh, yeah. It, it,
1: was, such, it was such an incredibly stressful time uh, doing that. I mean, I, I think that ultimately what is always most important when it comes to building the kind of career insurance that we want for ourselves is our interpersonal relationships. Because we, when we have people who like us they want to help us. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just because there's so much noise and so much competition, it is really, really hard to do it on our own. I mean, if the only tool that we have to rely on is just like, gosh, I hope my cover letter gets noticed. Right. Um, that's, you know, you, you can eventually break through and do it, but it's, it can be a slow and frustrating process. And to the greatest extent possible, you want someone who can help you cut the line either because they they grab your resume and they hand it to the right person and say she's great mm-hmm. or that they at least are able to give you inside information and say you know what the CEO really cares about you should definitely mention that here and oh you know when you're when you're being interviewed make sure that you uh, you don't talk about this but you do talk about that you know that can really make all the difference and so I think in, earlier in my career, I was not always as good about keeping up with my existing contacts mm-hmm. or being disciplined in finding ways to meet new people and develop new relationships. And so that is something that I would make a point of really regimenting more and, mm. uh, and, and building into my ongoing practices.
0: Awesome. I love that. Dory Clark, thank you so much for being here. Where can our listeners learn more about you, your excellent work, your amazing collection of powerful books that you have written? Where should folks go? Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, if folks
1: want to learn more, I uh, especially if you're in the midst of a job search, I would recommend my my first book, Reinventing You. And I actually mm-hmm. have a free reinventing you self-assessment that folks can get at
0: doryclark.com
1: slash reinvent.
0: Awesome. I will put that link in today's show notes. Thank you again for joining me. This was such a fun conversation. This was fantastic. Thank you for having me. And now it's time for this week's boss move of the week. Today, I want to spotlight a recent job search client of mine named Sarah, who wrapped up the hired job search accelerator with me just a few months ago. Earlier this week, I was delighted to get an email from Sarah with a subject line, guess what I did today, celebrating with champagne and with a a special surprise gift that we leave all of our hired clients with. I won't spoil it for you, but it's a surprise gift we always close the program with for all of our hired clients. Job Search Accelerator clients, and she sent me a little picture showing her celebrating. She wrote, I am officially the newest associate product manager at, company name, I'm going to leave out of it for now. She goes on to say, I got a raise, unlimited PTO, full remote work with the option to relocate anywhere, but the company HQ is in San Diego, a better 401k match, and an expense account. Also, my boss is awesome. And a woman too. Thank you so much for all of your advice and guidance. If you ever need a positive review for the Hired program, please call me first or feel free to share my story. Exo Sarah. And that, Sarah, is why I want to shout out to you today and celebrate you and your success. Honestly, I know it has been a slog to be a job seeker in 2020 and beyond. And during this whole pandemic environment, it is a real pain in the ass. Let's be real here. But I've had so many clients in the Hired program get jobs and land great opportunities since the start of the new year, I'm feeling genuinely optimistic for those of you who've been pounding the pavement, who've been putting in the work, and who are really leveling up your job search strategy. So, of course, if we here at Bossed Up can be of support to you as a listener, if you are on the job search, definitely check out the Hired Job Search Accelerator at bossedup.org slash get hired. Or, hopefully, today's advice that you heard from Dory Clark can help accelerate your success alongside our free, comprehensive, ultimate job search guide, which you can find tons of information in, for free, $0 at bossedup.org slash job search. Be sure to share that resource with any job seekers in your life who you know could really use it. That's all I got for you today. I can't wait to hear from you. <laughs> I can't help but say that while I clap on the track here, but can't wait to hear what you thought about today's conversation. I really enjoyed talking to Dory Clark. She was such a delight uh, to speak with and I'm, I'm dying to hear what you thought. Head to the Boss Up Courage community on Facebook where we're always continuing the conversation after each episode and weigh in there or tag me on social media at Emily Aries or at Bossed up org to let me know what you think. Until next time, let's keep Boston in pursuit of our purpose and together, Let's lift as we climb.